Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5, and it starts with the 13th verse. This is happening just after the famous Beatitudes, the blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the hopeless, for God will restore them. And it's a little bit of a transition piece. It's going from the Beatitudes, like the, which is sort of the mission statement of what it means to be a Christian, into what does that actually mean for your life? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? So I invite you to listen to these words with ears to hear. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? The salt is good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people, so they can see the good things you do, and praise your Father who is in heaven. Don't even begin to think that I have come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. I say to you very seriously that as long as heaven and earth exist, neither the smallest letter nor even the smallest stroke of a pen will be erased from the law until everything there becomes a reality. Therefore, whoever ignores one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the lowest in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps these commands and teaches people to keep them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I say to you that unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today is World Communion Sunday, and this is always one of my favorite holidays in the church. Uh, It's the day when we stand back and we remember that we're more than just us. We're more than just us, the people we see around us in this place or the churches that are close by. We are part of a faith that is big. It spans the whole globe. If you go somewhere else, anywhere else in the world, chances are you're going to find somebody else who shares your faith. And I love this opportunity to sit and to think about those things. The thought about those things, I remembered my pastoral internship pastor, supervising pastor. You go to a church and they give you a pastor who's done it before, and you do all the things that they do when they teach you how to be a pastor. And mine was a guy whose name was David Brown, and David Brown was a graduate of the University of Edinburgh. In fact, he was Scottish, and so I only understood about 75% of what he said. (laughs) So if I'm a 75% good pastor, that's why. Can blame him. And David was married to Logany, and Logany was a woman of Indian descent who was from South Africa. And David, the Scottish Presbyterian minister, met Logany, the accountant from South Africa in Michigan. He moved to Michigan for the better weather, which tells you what it's like in Scotland, right? <laughs> And David reminded me, as I was thinking of that, of my friend Sai. And Sai Satow is a Japanese doctor. He is a Japanese doctor who was a medical missionary to India. And while in India, he met his wife, Yvonne, who is from Birmingham. And so Sai Satow and Yvonne from India, Japan, and England lived in Hinton, West Virginia, which is small, even for a town in West Virginia. 
And one day, I remember talking to Sai at the table at lunch, and he called it Salt Week. It was Salt Week at camp, because Sai, who was a Japanese medical doctor working in India, was obsessed with salt. And it was a balmy 94 degrees in West Virginia that week, and he made sure everyone was eating salt. In fact, he stood up at 94 degrees in the lunch hall at camp and said, everyone today eats salt. And he went around literally and poured salt in everybody's drink because he was worried about dehydration. Dehydration. Now, Sai, who lived in India for a long time, knew what dehydration was. And I joke about 94 degrees and how serious that was to him, but in West Virginia, if it gets to 94 degrees, people panic because we don't have air conditioners. Right? When there was the wildfires in Seattle this year and everybody was panicking because they don't have air conditioners, salt becomes a very important thing. You see, salt is necessary for life. And if you've gone on a salt-free diet, you know how terrible salt-free food tastes. This is an argument that my husband and I have all the time because I think there shouldn't be nearly as much salt as he thinks, right? Salt is so tiny but so important. Elizabeth, he said, salt is small. It's microscopic. But only a few drops of it saves the world. Only a few drops of it saves life. Or a little less eloquently, um, as our great hero, Gordon Ramsay, puts it, your food needs salt, you donkeys. <laughs> salt and light are precious. You need them. And if you lived in Jesus' world, you realize that salt and light are precious because you don't have a lot of it. Jesus picked salt and light because they were so hard to get. If you lived in first century Palestine with Jesus, you had to go to the ocean to get your salt. And somebody had to drain the salt, evaporate the salt over time in a special salt evaporating machine. And then people would gather the little bit of salt and they would take it to places and you'd go to the market and buy it. Salt was not something you just picked up and threw on whatever you had. It didn't come in those 60 cent paper containers at the store. Salt was valuable and difficult to get. The same with light. It wasn't electricity. He didn't turn the light switch on. They were little lamps, little lamps, no bigger than this, filled with precious oil that someone had to make by hand. And these little lamps, these little lamps, they would light, and they would put it on a lampstand, and they would burn, and they would fill up the whole house. All they needed was a little bit. Jesus picked these things because of their rarity. And he was telling his people that the rarity of these items, the preciousness of these items, was like them. They were salt. They were light. Now, it's easy to remember Jesus was a person. Easy to forget that Jesus was a person, and he lived in an actual context. And what's important about this story is that Jesus is preaching in a political context of rebellion and empire. These were an occupied people. They never had the choice. They never got to make their own decisions for themselves. They didn't make their own laws. And they'd been occupied for hundreds of years. 
And there were three camps, basically, in this area that Jesus was talking to. The first camp were the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were, um, what would you call them, collaborators. They went along. Well, whatever they say, I'm going to do, because I don't want to cause too much trouble. And if we just get along, if we just follow the rules and we do what they say, then we'll get to keep being us, and they'll get to keep being them, and nothing will go wrong, and everyone will be fine. It's the, eh, I don't like it, I don't want to do it, but, eh. And then you have the zealots, who are basically the opposites of the Sadducees, right? Zealots, we know this word, because we use it all the time. You're such a zealot, and usually it's like, you're such a zealot for your football team. Or you're such a zealot for chocolate cake. I guess you could be a zealot for chocolate cake. And zealots thought that what you needed to do was to overthrow the empire. And so they went and they fought and they took weapons places they shouldn't have. Or they used rocks or poles or whatever they could find to beat up the empire. Which were usually just the people in the front lines who didn't really do anything in the first place. The zealots thought the angrier you, you were, the meaner you were, the more that you yelled, the more that you hit people, the more violence that you could bring to the system, the quicker the empire would fall. And then there was the Pharisees who didn't, they just isolated themselves. So they thought, if we can just sit in our group with the people that we know, and we look around, and in our little group, and we just stay with our group, then we can make sure that everybody inside of the walls are pure and they're perfect. And as long as we're pure and perfect, then everything will be fine. God will come back at some point as long as we can control ourselves and be perfect, sinless people. And so you had the Sadducees who did whatever the Romans told them to do and became more and more Roman each day, and the Zealots who became less and less people every day, and the Pharisees who were just concerned that everybody looked like them. And Jesus, to this crowd, says then none of these responses are right. He rejected the zealots for being angry, for being full of hatred. He says the hatred of the zealots will get you nowhere. And he rejected the isolation of the Pharisees. He says if you're so concerned about the law, then you're missing the point. It's not about the letter of the law. It's about who the people are under the law. And so when you're commanded to honor your father and your mother, it's not about honoring your father and your mother so much as it is respecting that people may have wisdom that you need to tap into. Jesus says, don't be collaborators. Don't just go along to get along. You are called to be light. Now, it would have been helpful if Jesus could have said, this is what light looks like, and if you do follow this three-step plan, <laughs> right? Because that doesn't leave us a lot of options. Don't collaborate, don't isolate, don't be angry. So what's left? You are the light of the world. What he's saying is that you might be small, and it might feel like you are fighting against an inevitable tide that you can't change. Whenever you turn the world news on, it feels like you are outmatched and overwhelmed. It's a big world. It's a big world, and there's a lot of people, and there's a lot of stuff happening in the world. And I feel like some days that if I pay attention, to the world that I'm going to be overwhelmed. It makes me feel insignificant or small. It's a big world, and I'm just one person. 
And it's tempting in that feeling of smallness to get angry. To be angry that I can't do more, that I can't change the world. And it's easy to do the opposite and to just say, well, if I can't change the world, then I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to eat cake. Cake comes up a lot in my thoughts. <laughs> Those are tempting, too. What can I really do to change the world? And then I remember that my friend Sai from Japan was talking to me in Hinton, West Virginia. The world is not as big as we think. And we are not as small as we think. Salt never works by itself. No such thing as one grain of salt on your food. And while light may seem small, the little light on that lamp may seem small, when you put lots of lamps together, the light is bigger. It's greater. It changes the world. Small things can change lives. Just a little bit of salt can change your life. A well-placed light in the right place can change your life. A little bit of salt, a small thing, can change the world. And if you go back and you look through your life, the big important decisions, the things that changed your life, I bet were the small decisions you made on a daily basis. You may be small by yourself, but you are not small when you're in the salt shaker of the church. And we have all of the salt together. You're not small when you put your prayer in with the prayer of God who does change the world. You're not small. You are precious, and you are valuable, and you are important, and you are hard to get. And so we have a choice to stay in the salt shaker and to live in the salt shaker of our little, our little world. Or we can combine with a bunch of other salt and make food better. You get what I'm saying? We don't have to feel insignificant or small or like we can't change the world because we can change lives today. You can change a life today. And one life changed is another life changed because change multiplies. It gets bigger. When we all work together, it gets bigger. Salt changes flavor. It changes the world. And so maybe you feel like you can't do anything, like your prayer isn't enough, like giving someone a smile at the grocery store isn't enough. But you are not small. And you've got lots of salt with you. And you can change the world. Just one shake of the salt shaker at a time. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.